Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and welcome to the Soul Stories Podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we host conversations for healing and change. America is in the midst of a cultural reckoning, and in this season, I speak with leaders and creatives who provide a well-needed dose of inspiration. Our guests spend their time following their passion, uplifting others, and making a positive impact in what sometimes feels like a bleak reality. This season is about hope and the belief that change is possible. Enjoy! Bubba Peace, formerly Sean Don The Truth, is a father, partner, artist, and poet. He's an extremely reflective and spiritual soul who seems to be wise beyond his years. This conversation is a meditation on transformation, growth, and the ills of the world. He offers so much perspective on how sometimes change starts by first taking an honest look at our own lives. Bubba Peace exemplifies compassion and vulnerability in this thoughtful conversation. Enjoy the episode. How you doing, Sean? I'm pretty decent yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good. You want to tell the listener where we're at right now? Well, we're at this park. It's Rose something. And basically, there's several different parks around here, but this one was cool. It had a garden. I was like, fuck yeah, let's, let's be by a garden and vibe. Nice. Yeah, it's good, to, it's good to be outside. I've never done an outside interview before. Really? Yeah. I'm glad I could help with that uh, virginity. Yeah, I was just about to say <laughs> you're breaking the Soul Stories podcast outside virginity right now. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background, where you're from? Um, yeah. I'm a bay boy, meaning I was born by the lake. That's Oakland, California. And most people I feel from Oakland would understand what I mean by born by the lake. Because there's only one lake, and then there's a big bay, <laughs> which is the difference between San Francisco and Oakland. The bay divides it, of course. I'm the son of a, a teenage black girl who, you know, she was looking for love. And I think we're all looking for love one way or the other. And at some point when she got married, we moved out to Fort Collins where I was exposed to mountains and snow. I didn't know what the fuck snow was. I'm like wow I, I i remember frosty the snowman and there's like these little white things on the tv and i'm like what the fuck is that and then when i'm in it it's uh it just threw me off i'm like this shit's cold why would anybody ever want to be here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah that's that's my little denver or oakland the denver thing and when did you move from oakland that would have been 2001 okay how old were you I was seven going on eight. Do you remember anything about moving from Oakland to Denver besides the snow? I remember being upset because it's like when you're a kid, you don't know what exactly you're moving for. You're just like, all right, so put all your shit in this van or U-Haul and we're just driving for hours and then we get to this other location and I'm like, well, what the fuck is this? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you just kind of feel like you're being pulled along for the ride. Yeah. I'm like, it, it, it was so, I remember just sitting in this, this truck with my granny, my grandma's mother. And then my grandma, like I wasn't even riding with my mom cause my mom and her husband at the time, they were the ones who just took off way ahead of us. And I'm like, just on this road trip with my grandparents, you know. Mm. You said your mom was a teenager when she gave birth to you? Yeah. Do you have any brothers or sisters or siblings? I have a shit ton of brothers and sisters, and I have three other siblings from my mom, and then within the last few years I've been reconnecting with my father, and he has at least eight kids. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's like, between the both of them, there's... 12 or 13 of us just out here in the universe trying to make shit happen. Are you connected to all of them? I am not. Okay. I'm mainly connected with my siblings from my mom's side, and then there are two siblings from my father's side, and they're twins. 
So I, I'm pretty connected with them to a degree, but still getting to know my father's side. Okay. And are you, are you close with your dad now or? I would say I am close in terms of the work that he does, not necessarily with him personally. Mm. That like makes me think of like classic masculinity in a way, not speaking to your dad, but just like I tend to relate to my dad about work and accomplishment and achievement as well. Yeah. You're an artist. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about your art? Most of my art is self-reflection. It's a lot of music and it's a lot of poetry. And my poetry is often expressed through the music. And topic-wise, I'm really trying to figure out why the fuck men suck. (laughs) In a nutshell. Why do we suck? Well said. Yeah. (laughs) um, On top of that, like, why, why do we suck? Why are emotions painful and how can I be there for my lady and now my daughter? Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So you're a father and you got a partner and I'm curious if you're able to connect your background at all to the kind of art that you try to make today. Yeah. Or I created this song late last year and I put it out February 1st of this year and it's called you're worth it and in three verses I describe three situations that describe these black girls who all mean different things to me personally one of them was a student of mine another one is a young lady out in Louisiana who was incarcerated because she was sitting in the car with somebody who committed a murder and then my mom and all of these scenarios there's these young women who are searching for love and they're somewhat validated and invalidated by black men Mm. and I made that song because I knew at some point I would have to address those types of questions anyway people are going to want to know what are my relationships with women and what do I do in the community like those types of things are going to pop up by virtue so I'm like I don't want to be the Bill Cosby person at some point where I get fame and then I don't know how to how to handle that so I think it's important to bring different aspects of myself within my music but most importantly understand my mom without her I wouldn't be here yeah I'd love to know a little bit more about your mom well she's one of the smartest people on the planet she's very dedicated she's loyal she maximizes opportunities when they come to her. She basically is so focused on one task at a time that she makes everybody else in her workforce look bad because she's so gifted at being around people and connecting. She works for CDOT, so she sometimes talks with truckers who might have a fourth or fifth grade education and she can walk them through applications and permits. And I think that's a unique talent because a lot of people are very impatient. They want answers and they marginalize people if you don't have a certain degree of speech. But my mom is not that type of person. She humanizes with humans. So I Uh, love that about her. Yeah, to work with truckers. What an intense population, I'm sure. She gets proposed to pretty much every other day. (laughs) Like, oh my God, you know, like, just get married. (laughs) Right. She's like giving them like care and attention and they're just like not used to that, I'm sure. That's what's crazy about it because these are going to be mostly men and all of us just want care and attention. Yeah. At some point in our lives or another. So I'm always wondering, well, when did that care and attention stop to where it was becoming a a detrimental behavior long-term for those of us who end up committing crimes or doing violence to women or men in the community. Can you speak more to that with masculinity as it relates to care and attention and acting out? I think personally that we, we need love when it comes to physical touch, not necessarily the the violent type of love, like, oh, let's wrestle, bro, and play around and and tackle each other and do all the football-type behaviors. We are people 
just like women are people and just how a woman gets seen on television or movies and they get hugs and that makes them feel better. It makes them feel comforted. That's what we instinctively need. And that allows us to be whole. And when we deny ourselves based off of what media says we should be doing, we should be macho and we should be the Hulk or we should be Superman. It doesn't give us room to be whoever it is that we are on a natural level. So, you know, some of us really need to cry all the fucking time and we deny ourselves those tears because we want to fit inside the box of masculinity and that box is unhealthy. It, it doesn't give us room to be expressive outside of anger and sadness or anger and happiness. Yeah, I definitely feel that for myself. And I'm curious how masculinity has impacted you personally and like what you've had to overcome within yourself. Well, first off, I am going to therapy and this is going to be my second time. Nice. And I'm proud to say that because when it comes to seeking help with understanding my masculinity, I take that very serious because I have a child. I have a responsibility outside of myself. And I know previously I was very much in denial about my emotions. I could be very defensive and my love relationships. I remember one time in college, there was a woman who I was physically attracted to. And I knew in my head that I, all I wanted was sex at the end of the day. And there was a time when she asked me, well, what, what are we? You know, that, that what are we question. And I didn't really know what to tell her because in my head, I'm like, well, don't you see the movies? You know, we, we boink and we move on. You know, that's, that's kind of what my mentality was throughout college to a degree. And I think now I want to experience what does it mean to be all of these different emotions, sad? What does it mean to cry? Like I've, I've cried in interviews for jobs because I have to put food on the table. I have to have a house. I cannot let my daughter go through what my mother went through. I can't let my daughter go through what my father went through or myself. And in order to get to that level of understanding, I have to get beyond this wall or this box of anger and happy because that's not real. Yeah. That's such a hard box to break. How did having a, a daughter shift you? It made me move out of my grandma's house. <laughs> <laughs> And it's a great accomplishment because we all need to feel independence, but we don't know when it's going to come. And I think I, I definitely took advantage of my grandma more than enough times because she did so well for herself financially, but she did so well for herself because she worked. And I undermined that work that allowed my mom to at least always have a house over her head. And now I'm at that position where, okay, well, my daughter started off in a home. She didn't start off in anybody else's home, but a home that I work for every day. And when you know that you're you're giving somebody an opportunity to know happiness, but know how to work for their happiness, you realize that you're you're transforming the world just by having that work ethic and that desire to be better every day. What do you mean by transforming the world? The world is full of animosity it's full of misunderstanding there's a lot of homeless people out in these streets i know for eighth grade i went to maury middle school and i went to that school when i was in eighth grade which would have been over a decade ago and yet there's a homeless encampment there right now and that homeless encampment is a reflection of the world's lack of care for other people we don't take into account every life a lot of people are selfishly doing things for money in order to validate something that within themselves has been invalidated, whether that's your masculinity, your self-worth, your goals, your dreams. And now we're at this place where we're in a pandemic and a lot of people are losing jobs or they're losing their desire to be around people. So we're being even more boxed in Yeah, and, we have to start to raise and grow our seeds to be able to transform that mentality that got us here. 
Well, that's amazing that, cause I think a lot of, as you say, like a lot of people start talking about transforming the world from such like a, a large scale place. And for you to be like, I want to give my daughter the best life she can as a way of transforming the world is such like a, that is absolutely what you can control. That's like within your microcosm to make a better macrocosm, you know, as far as your art goes, as far as your passions and dreams, cause I know you're a big dreamer. What are you looking forward to? What do you want to create in the world? Which dream would you, would you prefer I talk about? Cause I got, I got like when I die dream, I got, or the dream that is very unlikely, but it's still a dream. I can go, which one you want? What's the first one? I like the when I when you die. When I die, I want to have a Booker T. Washington sort of situation where I create a university, uh, HBCU, historically black college and university for those who are listening, and I want it to be similar to Naropa in terms of where we're putting meditation, we're putting spirituality, we're putting self-wellness at the forefront of the university's outlook. But I want it to be black. I want it to be brown. I want it to be a place where people come to evolve. You don't you don't go to the university in order to stay at the same place that you you started. For example, when I went to K-State, Kansas State University, I knew I wanted to make music. By the end of it, I knew I wanted to make music. That didn't change. I I just knew I was tired of being told what to do, and I was tired of learning about how much my life didn't matter because when I was in college, that was the whole Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, like all these these different people who, uh, Sandra Bland, you know, all these voices that were, were lost due to misunderstanding, the lack of transformation that we're living through. So... I want to create a university that teaches young people you have to be good with yourself before you can really transform anything. If yeah. you are not able to transform within yourself, you will invalidate who you are supposed to be. And, yeah, so you kind of tied that in with police brutality and what's happening. How do you see that connecting to these, like, awful oppressive systems that exist? My mom worked for Oakland Police Department probably when she was 17 to 19 or so. And she was trying to do this thing where it's like, I want to help people. And if there's a lot of violence going on in Oakland, California, let me try to get within the system and transform it. And what she found out is there's a whole lot of sexism in there. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of marginalization within the Oakland Police Department and many police departments. And if all of our police departments are operating at a, a gang mentality, a, a group of individuals mm-hmm. who want to unify for their own specific causes and reasons, then it was going to be unhealthy for her. And I mentioned her because I can see why people want to be police and because the police system is rooted in keeping people at a place where obedience matters more than love, care, and community, we are unable to move in any direction that addresses police brutality because these systems within the United States are not pro-black. We know that a lot of people have been incarcerated, and a lot of them are black. A lot of them are brown. Uh, A lot of black girls, a lot of black women are being thrown into prisons and it's like there's police inside of those prisons there's guards but are they really doing any sort of transformation when people get into these systems right that's what we need to ponder a little bit more i want to press more why do you think people become policemen there's several reasons some people are powerless individuals as they grow up and because they have been stripped of their power, they either want to become a dominating force and assert their fragile self onto other people because now they have a badge and they can be they can look at somebody who maybe used to bully them or somebody who looks like them or acts like that person who bullied them and in school days and 
then they're like, well, fuck, I'm going to lock this motherfucker up. I'm going <laughs> to beat the shit out of him. You know, I might yeah. shoot him because I now can validate that power I did not have. So that's that's one thing that I know happens. But there's also people who join because they want to do the opposite. They're like, well, I was that kid who got beat up and I, I was turning all sorts of paths. And then there was a police officer who changed my life. So I want to be a police officer. And so there's this spectrum of people who they want to bully people. So they join the force because they know they can get away with being a bully. And then there's these other people who they're like, I want to chase the bullies, but transform them. Yeah, it's interesting to have those two mentalities, you know. Obviously, it's simplifying by creating a dichotomy, but, like, I agree with that. And to have those things coexist, like, the bullies in any any situation end up being the loudest voices, you know, and creating the harm and the terror and the oppression, I feel like. Um, And that also kind of goes down to what you are saying with transformation, like creating the HBCU, like, those people who are fragile, who are trying to take power over other people, it almost is like they need that transformation themselves. Right. And this is a story. I have a friend by the name of Aubrey Valencia, and she started this organization called the Storytellers Project. And within the Storytellers Project, she is working with young people on social-emotional learning through art and then she did another program called Break and Change Building Bonds where she works with formerly incarcerated peoples who are really those children who were denied that love at an early age. And when I was able to see those men and those women who were coming from incarceration, it made me realize we can transform in so many ways. These are people. And I'm like, wow, no matter what anybody ever says about people who have been locked up in any way they are literally people and brilliant people very spiritual people but they they always have to look over their shoulder because there are these multiple systems that that set us up for failure and i think it's incredible that we can we can learn from anybody no matter what background no matter what creed religion race color None of that stuff matters if you have the intention to transform through all the lessons that are brought to your arena. Do you think that requires like a certain level of self-awareness to be able to access those lessons? Yes, and there has to be a willingness to be present. And I think a lot of first world countries have this go, 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 go. That's pretty much what this pandemic was shutting down it's causing us to say you're not going anywhere you're gonna stop yeah and look at yourself and some people cannot look at themselves because it's terrifying it is and then for some people they're like all right well let me stop and look at myself and those people want to connect with other people who stop and look at themselves and at some point we, we start talking almost how we're doing here and we want to find out why are we so complicated? Why are we putting each other in boxes that don't make sense? Why is black a thing? Why is white a thing? Why isn't love a thing? What have you learned about yourself since slowing down in the pandemic? I learned that I had to return to being who I am. I think there has always been a very creative and artistic person within myself. I used to chalk a lot as a kid, and I rode my bike. I did a lot of push-ups. I did a lot of physical and artistic things. And as I've gotten older, I started to prioritize the money fetish before really enjoying life. So I think throughout this, this pandemic, I'm trying to figure out how do I connect with people and how do I how do I do activities that make me feel well. Mm. Well, I think it's interesting because I think that connects a little bit to the initiative you hosted in collaboration with Soul Stories um, called Black Community Matters. Can you talk a little bit about that? So initially, Hannah told me that you and her were looking to 
create a space for black voices to discuss whatever it is that we thought would make sense. And that was a blessing because uh, she asked me and I feel that my desire is to create those spaces and I want to find the right people who are very selfless by nature and they've done a lot of this self-work first and I've taken time to do a little bit of homework on more or less 16 people and within those 16 people we had four weeks of discussions and we would choose four people per session plus or minus and each week we would go into what this overall theme was which is transformative resistance within transformative resistance we're determining what is society already doing what are we doing in the black community that just needs to be uplifted because now people are wanting to know well how do black lives matter and transformative resistance implies well we have always mattered to a degree the thing is we need to look at how we have been attempting to make ourselves matter for example rosina she was on our first panel and she is the founder of element of discovery which is a therapist of color co-op she works with a lot of different people of color and she works with a lot of white folks she works with people to help people figure out how do we become well again and just giving her space to talk about her platform is transformative because she already is doing the work and she's going to continue doing the work we don't need to reinvent the wheel we just need people who have been doing work behind the scenes and and graciously and selflessly to be recognized and to be heard because we don't we don't give the credit where it where it's due well i see that as an absolute strength of yours the ability to bring people together to connect to make their voices be heard to amplify them and also like not make yourself the center of it which is i think really difficult for most people and i think black community matters brought out like a huge amount of like lessons and incredible work different people are doing because of that. I'm curious, what did you take from it? Like, what did you learn from that whole experience? I learned there is a great power in wanting to do the work of God. And if I highlight my granddad who lives out in, uh, Texas. He's doing some work out in Kibera, Kenya. And he at one point had this epiphany where he was thinking, I need to figure out a way to help the world. The world is in chaos. Way before pandemics, before Black Lives Matter, he he just wanted to do some good. And he did research on, well, what, where's a slum? Where's somewhere th- where they just don't have anything? Like, Everything that we're sitting around right now would look like a dream come true for people of Kybera, Kenya, because it's it's a slum. You know, there's mud, there's clothes and feces and all sorts of craziness. And he decided to build this organization, Kenya Linda Hand. And oh, nice. Yeah, Kenya <laughs> like Linda Hand. Yeah, you know what he was on. <laughs> so, Kenya Linda Hand provides education. They they provide different tools and. Uh, feminine products for women and it's a great it's a great cause and one of my gripes about the organization is but granddad you you have to do the work here first you know you have to talk to your firstborn child which is my mother and if you were around I probably wouldn't need to be here because I feel like my purpose is to revalidate the black woman's worth and by revalidating the black woman's worth the black man's worth will become evident because my my queen jamila she is always supporting anything that i do she she lets me know her opinion she makes me feel worthy but the way she makes me feel worthy is a product of me making her feel worthy Mm. and we need to do that lift each other up exactly because if 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 we're only focused on 
one effort to uplift the world, then sometimes we miss the mark of just be a father, you know, be, be a loving adult and you will reap the benefits because my daughter, I can clearly see is a, she's a fucking genius. I can only imagine if my granddad would have realized like his daughter's a fucking genius too. And I'm a fucking genius and we are a family of geniuses and dreams and visions, but we have to take care of each other before we can take care of the Kenyans mm-hmm. or the, the Oakland people or whoever, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of what you were saying earlier. It's like change starts with your family. Right. That's such an interesting perspective saying by the black man lifting up the black woman, that's in turn validating the black man. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. And just like even saying that as like thinking about my girlfriend or my relationships being like uplifting her then uplifts me rather than thinking about self first, you know. How'd you come to that? Was that through your granddad? I think whatever happened between my mother and father made me come up with me because there were two extremely hurt people who had moments of intimacy that became love, that became an egg, that became sperm, that became life, that became effort, that became pain. And then through the various pains that I've experienced through my parents and now my own experiences, I realized a lot of the pain that I ever went through was because there was not enough effort on the men's side. Mm. It's, it's, it's very straightforward. And I know that as long as I make the effort to look at myself in the mirror and say, all right, Jamila is telling me she want when she, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with love languages, right? Uh So if, if she's telling me physical touch is something that resonates with her, it might be uncomfortable for me because as, boys and men we we tend to get less and less affection right around eight to twelve years old it's just like all right you're damn near a man you know like kissing you you got to grow up now yeah and that just made me it it made me feel insecure and then i started to get defensive like oh shit you know i what you mean woman do you do you understand i was not hugged and that just that didn't happen a lot for me and i i had my own epiphanies over time that's what i need to do if if i was not hugged as much growing up then i can revalidate my own self by giving her hugs giving my lady hugs and then i realized it feels good to give somebody a hug it doesn't have to be sex it can just be a hug and now that i'm i'm seeing these benefits I can only imagine as as Oya gets older, and this is, is my daughter. Name? Yeah, Oya Irie. She is going to know how to be loved because she's having two adults always give her hugs, and because I'm dealing with my uncomfort around hugging, I can validate her worth because she knows that she is touchable in a non-sexual way. Mm. You don't need to have sex to feel validated and that's what a father can bring because i understand there's various degrees of love my great grandmother on my mom's side uh she had a woman as a lover so i got to see that love comes in all ways shapes forms and yet a lot of women are still attracted to men and no matter what my daughter is going to have that love from her mother she's going to have that love from me Yeah, that's a really powerful concept. The idea of, like, parents showing their kids love in, like, non-sexual ways, like hugging and touching and allowing that to be normalized as a way of not having to pursue sex as the only, like, acceptable way to be validated or find love. Right. Yeah, that's really powerful. Do you believe in... I don't know if I can even say believe... I might be evidence for it at now but i don't really have the studies anyways do you believe in uh generational trauma always yeah um there's a 
a great author, writer, um, woman, and her name is Dr. Joy DeGruy, and she wrote this book about post-traumatic slave syndrome, mm-hmm. and most people tend to identify with this concept of post-traumatic stress, and if we can identify with something that was caused by war, then we should be able to identify with a war where you never had a choice to fight. You were either taken aboard a ship or you jumped off the ship and drowned. And for our ancestors, they had to watch our relatives say, I'm not going on the ship. I'm going to kill myself first. All of these different ways in which people were struggling to fight for any sort of life it's definitely passed down. I believe in epigenetics, which is, in a sense, things that have occurred to us that are detrimental. Uh, they do they do stay in our genes because some of the things that my father feels finicky about, I feel finicky about. Some of the things that my mom feels finicky about, I feel finicky about. Yeah. So it's definitely something that is real, and we have to be more mindful especially in the in the workplace because a lot of people just think you or whoever it is that might be struggling with emotions or identity we think it's just something hey get get back to work but that's not the reality if you have people who are struggling they need a conversation to validate that struggle yeah i think i could go on and on about how americans think that when you enter the workplace you leave your personal self at the door i just think that's complete bullshit um anyways separate conversation or maybe it'll come up later i'm curious how you think black americans to this day are impacted by slavery from like a generational trauma standpoint to me there's a lot of belief in conspiracies I know a lot of folks in the black community that I've been around talk about martial law. Martial law, like the military. The military controlling the regular operation of a country or a a territory. So a lot of folks are kind of stuck in this arena. And I know there's other folks who believe that we're headed to a new world order all the currencies are going to become one currency and there's going to be an attempt to make more and more and more people die because the earth is overpopulated. Like there's a lot of belief into things that don't make sense because we have been so marginalized that we're fearful before we understand logic Mm. and logic dictates how people move forward if there's a lack of logic then people can be stuck in one state of mind fear in the unknown or success because you're wanting to work towards success and a lot of folks in the black community lack that understanding and then i also want to be clear that i'm not the spokesperson because yeah totally just your opinion right and perspective I just know that when those thoughts started to to come into my personal space, I became very susceptible to that mind state. I was like, wow, you know, what if that is the case? I should start panicking and throwing money towards weapons and defense and all these things. And I started to get so irrational that I started causing harm in the home, not on a physical level, but just on a I'm barely functioning for work which is going to jeopardize safety and security, which is going to jeopardize Oya's life, which is going to jeopardize my life and or our relatives and or Jamila. So we have to do a better job of separating logic from fiction. And we have to, as a country, recognize that post-traumatic slave syndrome and how it's making us think in these ways because we're not doing it because we want to. We're doing it out of necessity. Fear has been beaten out of us or beaten into us, I should say. 
So we have to move beyond the fear and get into we're beautiful. We're the most creative. And <laughs> I mean, I, I can be honest. We're just the most dominant people on the planet. <laughs> given space to do so there will not be a white lebron we could we can <laughs> let's find a white lebron no put him in the nba and we'll see what happens but i just when will it happen i don't know it hasn't so it's hard for me to to say that we are not great because where we just are hi everyone i want to pause this conversation to tell you a little bit about soul stories and how you can support our mission is to host conversations that facilitate personal healing, human connection, and social change. We host a wide variety of online and in-person events, as well as this podcast. Check them out and engage with them at soulstoriesdenver.com or on Facebook and Instagram. This organization is completely volunteer-led, and we are working day in and day out to bring people together, fight loneliness, and work towards healing ourselves and society. If you believe in this work, please consider signing up for Patreon or sending a donation to our Soul Stories Venmo account. Both are linked in the description. Thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No white LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, can you find that greatness in yourself? I think that journey is over in terms of there occurred a point in my life where I realized I was great when I did something that I had never done before. And that was in part in college. But when I was able to go from, I just want to be a secretary in an organization that I had never ever seen before. I just, I decided to listen to, a professor who said, Hey, I'd be great at this thing. And I wanted to start off as humble as possible. And I saw other people didn't show up. So I was like, well, is everybody in this space cool with me being the president? And they were like, go for it. And when I started to fail and, and win in different ways, I realized in those moments I am great. It's just, where is that greatness going to be sustained and how is it going to become consistent? Mm. It's almost like, it's almost like removing your own limitations that you put on yourself. Yeah, definitely. Like you just asked if you could be president, I'm assuming of a club or yep, student organization. And then it's like, well, that position's open. And I know obviously it's not that easy in like adult life, but in some ways it's that easy for your mind state, you know, like you got to set your mind to that, to get there. What are you reaching for currently? I know we talked a little bit about the HBCU by the time you die. Right. Currently I want to get my music to a place that it is received, which requires a lot of marketing and I have to develop, marketing strategies i have to understand how does sound get transmitted to the people what is cultivating or captivating uh to folks who want to hear about manhood and womanhood and black love and love and self-love because those are the things that mean the most to me and if there's nobody available or no one there to listen to the music then there's no point in making the music because i can sing to these birds i can sing to the the trees however it's about the message for you it's about the message and i know the people need a lot of the things that i have to say i try to keep it simple more often than not because we can go into different rhyme schemes and go into battles and who's the the best rapper or best MC. And over time I've realized I'm competitive in the mirror. I see myself and I'm like, man, I I can get better every single day if I just put in this amount of effort. So I really want to develop my music market, find my audience and make sure that I, I stay consistent with producing content. I know you're not just creating a mu- music 
not just creating music, but I know you're a pretty like multifaceted person. How else do you want to get those messages out to? I am in the process of developing Baby Town Production, which is going to be a business that works with artists, activists, and community leaders to create music, music videos, skits, conversations such as Black Community Matters, and help those resilient voices in the world be heard. And I think there's a need for resilient voices to be understood, not as black or brown or white, but just if you're a resilient person, if if you're somebody who is working constantly on the betterment of God and, and nature and the world, we need you to not necessarily be validated because the work is the validation mm-hmm. itself, but we need those voices to be elevated and highlighted before all of these capitalistic monetary and selfish goals entities enterprises monopolies because we as a species are way more than pieces of green old dead white men (laughs) we're way more than that and i think baby town production will morph into this zone of creativity where people get to see other people's talents Mm. and i want to be able to on one half put my own music out there but i want to work with creatives such as yourself and others who do the work of storytelling and transforming these systems that have let us down for several centuries yeah well we're definitely more powerful in numbers are you a religious person No, not at all. What is your concept of God? God is the birds that we heard in the background. God is the wind. God is these flies going in between our nostrils right now. God is the grass, our fingertips touching grass. It's our shoes. It's our backpacks. It's water. God is uh, a nonstop flow of energy that even when something is passing away, it's just flowing right into the next creature or the next phase. And most people try to tie God to a story. And each story is only a pathway of somebody's relationship within God's energy. Because God's energy is an endless, abundant, flow it has no end it has no beginning so for me i've studied different types of religion for the purpose of relating with those who follow in those footsteps however no religion can validate the eternal and almighty how do you find connection to that energy being present and that's why i want to create a an hbcu And over time, that HBCU will just become a university because it's going to be and it is built for people who want a greater consciousness. And when we think about consciousness, I think of a deliberate desire to understand how you are part of God's flow and design. And when we are able to accept that we are only a piece, then we can become aware of the fact that no personal pursuit is bigger than God. Mm. We are all ants in the spectrum of life. And that's just something I'm pretty excited to, to find ways to reconnect, to learn how to sit, whether it's in silence or with groups. How do I sit? How do I lay down how do i breathe how do i stand how do i be present in a way that i don't need to feel attached to an outcome but be focused on an evolution of my understanding of who i am Mm. damn 
you must have been a spiritual leader in a past life or something. I feel like that was just the Sermon on the Mound right there. What What does that mean to you in terms of a spiritual leader in a past life? What is that? I mean, I just feel like you have like a a really grounded spiritual perspective, like a developed one. Like it's clear, you know, the past life's more of a joke, but like it's clear that you spent a lot of time like developing these ideas for yourself and practicing them. I agree. What is your practice? How do you stay present? I think when we moved to Aurora, I had a lot of time to be by myself and my mom was more or less 22 years old. So she's trying to be a 22 year old. And I watched a lot of Toonami and I love Toonami. Space Ghost and you know a lot of those Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Dragon Ball Z. A lot of these things that challenge what does it mean to be a fighter or a warrior and what does it mean to be happy, have joy, be satirical or funny. And there were a lot of times where I used to self-harm I used to, like, hit myself in the face. I used to scream in the pillows. I had a lot of time to be alone and hurt and grieve. And when you're in those spaces in isolation, you can either stay stuck in that isolation or you can decide what is to come from this isolation. What do I want to make of these situations? And for me... I've gradually come to the the realization that I just want to understand God and God's energy. So it goes back to learning how to sit. You know, I, I appreciate fishing. I appreciate watching life transfer, whether it's death or a new relationship or a friendship or getting a puppy or having a daughter just finding those ways to learn and reading spiritual books and stuff like The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Oh, man, yeah, I love that book. Yeah, what do you love about it? It's just so simple. When I moved to Denver when I was 23, I read that book, and I was anxious and depressed and, you know, a newborn adult, and it was so like so much of what I took from it was just following your intuition and what you're talking about as like non-attachment to goals the process the intuition and letting go of outcomes like you know the outcome takes you on the path but it's not the outcome that you ever get or that even matters at the end it's just that path and I feel like the alchemist does it such a simple way and one story from the alchemist regarding the guy who had the glass shop you know he eventually had so much money to where he could go to mecca and pray to his god in this sense which would have been a law it was crazy because the young man knew that he had this dream but this glass maker was content seeing his dream not not actually working towards it or going there he was intent just kind of being where he was and I think for me going through life I'm learning no matter how ambitious I am I have to be surrounded by people who are at all different ambition levels and learning how to let people's path be respected and honored because I want so many people to to achieve so many things and yet I can only be hopeful that they can will themselves to another level of spiritual understanding or connectedness and that's very difficult because my attachment is to people growing hence wanting to create a university of some sort and at the same time I know at this point at most, I can love people for who they are and not what I want them to become. Mm. Yeah, I think that is a really tough lesson to embody, to enact. 
at least for myself, because we're constantly projecting out of the world, you know, our wants and what we think is right and um, letting people be. And also I appreciate what you're talking about, like surrounding yourself with people with all different levels of ambition and perspective. That feels like a strong way to appreciate everybody as a teacher, you know. Everybody is a teacher, and that's where we're having this issue in the pandemic as it relates to education because there is this mind state of, well, what do we do to make the students feel safe? And adults are almost all at the seat of the table of that conversation. And in reality, most students have some concept of what makes them feel secure. They might not have a solid formula, but they, they can have insight. They have insight and they can be a part of the process. And I don't know how many of us as educators are looking to the the young voices or more youthful voices and asking them, what do they think this pandemic education should look like? And how how can we come together as administrators, educators, artists, students, and work together on the problem? Because it's not administrators and adults and parents versus students. It's all of us need to be brave together. And as adults, we have to talk to ourselves and recognize we don't have any of these problems. But I bet you these young people have. They have a connectedness that we will miss because we're so focused on solving a problem that was meant for them to really come to terms with and, and dissect and deconstruct. Yeah. I work with youth as well. And I think there is definitely something about adults unwilling to give up their power in those settings. Um, and I think that applies in so many areas we've talked about them tonight. Um, it's like almost as if adults care so much in some of these spaces that the care becomes a projection of their own fears onto these kids rather than giving the kids space to be themselves, to speak, to tell them what they think. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think that's why we have AOC. We have people. Who's AOC? Go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always get like the, the pronunciations messed up, but, I believe it's Alejandria. Alexandria. I Alexandria. Think. Uh, I think it's Ocasio Cortez. Ocas- yeah, yeah. It's like. But correct us, listeners, if you're that, if you're out there. I know. I I will let everybody know right now. I'm not political, but I have tapped into her energy a little bit, and I know that there are certain spirits such as hers that are focused on listening and a lot of young people they listen to adults all day all day and it's up to us as adults who are learning how to adult to come back to to that that authentic engagement elders are beings who have been on the earth for oh so long and at the same time it's like most of them don't understand the youth's way of communication it's it's not meant to be unless there's a mutual dialogue so i'm i hope that answers the question i feel like i could have went on a tangent yeah well i feel like we could go on tangents all day (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is this is feeling good i appreciate you coming on this i'm curious with like as we start to wrap up a little bit This is a little bit shorter of an interview, but I just feel like we tapped on things so fast and so in depth. I feel um, pretty good about where we're at. How do you feel about it? This is dope. It's a genuine conversation and I can always appreciate that. I'm curious what in like a sentence, what would you like to leave on this earth after you leave it? Love life to the fullest. What's that mean to you? There are many of us who exist in this lifetime 
You know, we do things because we think we have to. And then there's some people who live and they they go through emotion where it's like you think you've obtained a certain amount of success, whether that's wealth or maybe your family's good. And it, it's like you you get to a place of contentment and then you stay there. And I think with love, life to the fullest, that is a way of saying you want to go through a 360 degree circle as many times as you can before you die. Meaning you want to have access to different styles of wealth. You want to have access to different styles of conversation. You want to have access to being wrong. You want to have access to all of the feelings and experiment with our body, with our love, with our lovers. Do as many things in a circle. And that doesn't mean get married and and have sex with everybody under the sun. But it does mean having a authentic desire to engage with what God put us on this this plane to do and if we were dogs we would have a an a one way of living you know we we would understand every time our our human comes home we're happy but as a human we have a few additional things that we can do in life and i think if you want to love life to the fullest you have to be willing to explore it yeah i really appreciate that sense of like leaving your comfort zone and trying new things. And I liked even having the experience of being different on different sides of wealth. And I think life is often sold to us as an upward climb. It's like a straight line. Like, okay, you get out of college, you get a job, then you get a better job, then you make money, then you invest and then you're wealthy. And I like the image of a circle of going around and having the same experience twice and then a different experience and then coming over here and making it like a nonlinear path. I'll tell you something real quick. When I first moved out of my mom's house, I was at Kansas State University and I spent the first semester with her and her third husband. And it was weird because as I was going through this semester, it was becoming clear that they were going to get a divorce. And I'm like, I've seen this three times now. I've seen the, the love. I've seen the hatred and the pain and all the things. Yet, when I moved out, I moved to this one bedroom that cost about 400 a month. And that was dope for me. I had my own little spot. And at a couple points, some bats, you know, made their way in. And the the roof caved in with water at one point and sounds like a cave. It was a nice little cave. (laughs) It was. And I, none of it mattered because I was so happy to be by myself. And once again, it's it's not isolation at that point. It was a choice to be on my own. That sounds like independence. Exactly. Independence and really being able to appreciate it, it it was only one bedroom, but it was my one bedroom that I earned, that I worked for. I was in college, and I had jobs. I did whatever I had to do to have my independence. And I lived on Osage Street, and that was in Manhattan, Kansas, more or less seven or eight years ago from today. And now I'm a father. I have a, a queen. It's us three and love, love, my dog. And it's like, I'm back on Osage Street, but in Denver, Colorado. So I'm 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 entering a new circle. I was in a circle, and now I'm oh, in a whole another circle. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. I like how the metaphor is jumping circles almost. Um. Well, yeah. Shout out to Mila a little bit too. Yeah. I wish we would have brought her up more. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, talk about her. She's a she's a fucking awesome poet. Yeah. And it's cool that you met her 
before I met her. Really? I believe so. Um, because she was more focused on her poetic endeavors and that's how a lot of people have seen her but being her partner I know that she's actually a great chef and she has the desire to to create Mama Jaws Lounge which is a oh that's a great name yeah it's a business that will invite community and she will really emphasize her baking talents and she actually just won $2,200 by completing the Youth on Record Fellowship. And that's going to support her her business. So shout out to Jamila in that regard. Yet, I just, I know she's she's so talented that most people don't even know it. It's like, you know, you knew her as a poet, but she's actually a professional dancer. And she's also a baker. She's also a mother. She's also somebody who cares more about 99% of the human population more than the human population that cares about themselves. So I think she's very multifaceted and I'm just, I'm glad that she chose to be in love with me and I'm definitely down until I die. That's amazing. That's really beautiful. Well, as we wrap up, Shout out yourself a little bit. Maybe promote yourself. Tell people where they can find you, how they can support you. Where? So you can find me at Sean Don the Truth. And that's S-H-A-U is in universe. N. D is in dog. O-N. T-H-A. Truth. And just search that on Google or SoundCloud or Instagram. Uh, Facebook, I'm on all of those platforms, and then Babytown Production. If you were to look that up on Instagram or look it up on Facebook, my information is there as well. Just a quick note: since recording this podcast, Sean has changed his artist name to Bubba Peace, and all of his information can be found in the episode description. Find find him on our Soul Stories platform. Reach out to me if you need help. We'll put this on the episode description. Um, Thank you so much, man. Just appreciate you so much. Likewise, I really appreciate you making time with me. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are absolutely one of my favorite parts of working within Soul Stories. I hope you leave feeling inspired and energized. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating and or a review wherever you get podcasts. It really helps amplify the show and most importantly, the voices of our guests. Thanks and see you next time. This is Danny signing off.